You're listening to the Master Wildlife Filmmaking Podcast, Episode 11. This episode, I'm talking with National Geographic cameraman and host Bob Paul. Bob grew up in East Africa, where his father was director of the Peace Corps and later director of the African Wildlife Foundation. His family spent much of their time with the abundant wildlife that thrived there during the 1960s and 70s. Bob's unique upbringing gave him an appreciation and curiosity for the natural world, a highly adventurous spirit, and a strong sense of self-reliance. As a teenager, Bob's relationship with National Geographic began when he worked with a film crew on a documentary about elephants. Ten years later, Bob's first film as a cinematographer for National Geographic was about his sister, Dr. Joyce Paul, the renowned elephant zoologist. He is now one of the world's leading wildlife cinematographers and has shot many Emmy Award-winning films. Bob's extensive credit list includes shows for PBS, BBC, Discovery and over 35 projects with National Geographic. In 2012, the National Geographic television-produced film War Elephants reunited Bob with his sister as they worked in Mozambique's Gorongosa National Park to help elephants traumatized by years of civil war and poaching. Whether tracking elephants in extreme desert environments of Mali, following wildebeest across the Serengeti, or traveling roadless regions of war-torn Sudan, Bob's lifetime experience and unfailing tenacity help him capture remarkable moments. Bob, thanks so much for taking time out to be on the Master Wildlife Filmmaking Podcast this morning. Uh, how's it going for you at the uh, the festival this year? Oh, it's overwhelming, actually. There's so much and so many interesting things to see here. And of course, I'm learning a ton and then um, getting inspired, you know, because, uh, you know, with the Big Cat Summit and, you know, all this talk about conservation, you know, um, we hear so many negative things, actually. But when you come here and you listen to people that are actually doing amazing things on the ground, you get inspired and, and you get a sense of, um, you know, that that positive things are happening and we might be OK in the long run if we keep it up. Well, and, and that's what's so great about coming here is just seeing all the new stories and just speaking to so many people and getting that inspiration of, you know, hopefully there is a good future for wildlife out there. So, Bob, this is all about kind of um, getting to know people and their careers and how they broke into the industry. You got, you've done some amazing stuff. You're a cameraman and a host now. Can you tell us a bit about how it all began? How, what, what was your interest in wildlife for starters? But then how did you get into the TV industry? It was actually all by chance. But my, um, I grew up in Africa. My parents moved to Africa when I was three years old. So my all my first memories are of Africa. My, my parents were in the Peace Corps, but then were totally in love with nature and wildlife. And <clears throat> excuse me. And um, my father... Uh, ended up working in wildlife conservation. Uh, was the director of African Wildlife Foundation, and 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 that was in the time when I was in high school. So he, his uh, work had him in all the national parks across East Africa, and he often took me out of school to travel with him. And then on all of our family holidays, we always were camping in the bush, and we kept wild animals for pets and we just you know I grew up collecting snakes and lizards and I you know I was in it from the beginning um, when I was 17 years old my father organized a school holiday job for me working with a game capture team and sadly he um, uh, died in a car accident uh, after he had organized that so he never 
he wasn't around when I went to do the job, but the, but the, um, the helicopter pilot that, that was doing the flying for darting these Cape Buffalo that we were capturing and translocating to a place uh, where they'd be safe away from people, um, went off to fly for a National Geographic film crew and he invited me to come with him. And the, then the National Geographic crew invited me to join their team when my work with the game capture was finished. And um, that was the beginning of my National Geographic career. I was only 17 years old and um, I was guiding a film crew and I was picking up cameras and, uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I was, uh, yeah, it was, it was really, literally was the beginning because the cameraman was a guy named Wolfgang Baer who actually um, uh, started this Jackson Hole Wildlife Film Festival. And he was, an, you know, he was a real, he was the real deal, the, the original, you know, wildlife filmmaker. And uh, Wolfgang had me, after I graduated from college, I, I uh, went to work for him here in Jackson Hole, um, and then that led to another job back in Africa, filming you know, on a film that was actually about my older sister, who had become one of the world's, you know, leading authorities on African elephants. You know, she made discoveries about uh, infrasound and mus, and changed the way we even think today about elephants. Um, so one thing led to another, uh, one job after another, and eventually I was uh, shooting my, you know, filming myself. And then I, um, my first job with National Geographic was also about my sister. And uh, it, was a, it was a good film called Coming of Age with Elephants. And, uh, and that led to a career as a cameraman. That's fantastic. So now you have, um, you're taking on this role of uh, being a, a great cinematographer out in the field and also hosting. There's a lot to think about with both those things. I, I've done both, but not so much in one go, right? I started out as a host and then I moved on to camera. And they're, they're so taxing on their own. What's it like to merge those two things together and, and have to, you know, be focusing on getting great shots but then, you know, at the same time, finding those moments to turn around and talk to another camera. Well, I think, I, I don't know, for me, it came very easily. I, I, I came into it by complete chance, um, almost the same way I did with the camera work, but um, it suited me. Uh, the camera work did. And then it turned out this did, too. I, um, I was on a behind the scenes uh, segment for one of National Geographic's um, big epic series called Great Migrations. Um, then they asked me if I would like to, you know, front a show, uh, which I did, and the show was very successful. In fact, it was it was nominated for an Emmy. I um, then was picked up uh, on a series for PBS and National Geographic as a main camera, main, main character, doing the work that I was doing, which was filming and hosting and narrating. So that all sort of flowed easily together. And then my latest thing, which is this thing called Man Among Cheetah, which is very much, as you were saying, um, speaking while filming, because it's all like you're on this ride with me and I'm, I'm we're just along together for this ride. But I think that um, uh, it's not so difficult in a sense i always felt comfortable with it because i'd filmed so many people um you know in interviews and you know characters on camera and i was you know when things got tough for them i always tried to say look you know just relax because we're only going to pick the best parts of this and you're going to look great so when it when the camera turned on me i just didn't care and i never have you know i just be myself and i <clears throat> talk about what's really going on in the moment and so it's not been really difficult for me to multitask in that way to shoot and talk at the same time and i also um 
I don't multitask on other things at all. But that one I don't seem to have a problem with. However, lately um, I've taken to doing some live stuff where you really have to, you can't ramble on and there's no editing, so you have to be really, deliver specific words. You know, it has to be um, concise and it has to, you have to deliver the message in a very concise and quick and one-time take. Uh, I, and while I'm filming at the same time. And I think that was much more challenging. And luckily I'd been doing all this um, National Geographic live uh, performances where I'm on stage for an hour and 10 minutes with no notes and I have the script in my head. So I'd learned how to memorize what I'm gonna say. And I, what I found with the live television was that um, I knew they were gonna be coming to me in like five, four, three, two, one. And I had to be doing my work and also um, deliver the talking points that I needed to. So I had to know what they were without thinking about it. That means I had to memorize it and throw it into my head so that whatever was going on, I could still say the words. And it worked out because like on, on this particular thing, National Geographic, um, uh, Earth Live, uh, the second time they came to me, I was to be surrounded by hyenas and, and, and they were literally climbing all over me. And it was, I couldn't get the words out. Um, the second time when it was live, they came to me, I had the words down fine, but there were no hyenas. And, you know, my mind was thinking only, oh my God, this is a complete disaster. There are no hyenas. But the words that I had memorized were just coming out naturally out of my mouth. And in the end, there were a couple of hyenas. And to the audience, it looked intense. And my delivery was fine. And so it would have totally been a disaster if I had choked and not had those words in my head. And so I couldn't have done that if I didn't have the, the stage experience and knowing, you know, the Nat Geo live thing <clears throat> really helped me with the live TV. So there's a lot to be said for preparation, oh being prepared. I mean, there's, I know this from, from presenting, that there's so many different styles. I mean, I found it very easy as well to be in the moment because I was doing what I loved, right? There I was, you know, with, a, uh, with the w wildebeest out on the, the Masai Mara and you're, you're, you know, your grin's there because you're loving it and you can turn around and be in the moment and enjoy it. That stuff I found easy, but then similar to you, I found it really, really hard to have scripted content. And there would be times where I remember we were doing a show for National Geographic on uh, mosquito transmitted diseases. And we were in India in a, this paddy field. And uh, there was a water buffalo in the background with a couple of stalks on its back. So you had this great contrast with the white and the, the buffalo and the, the, gra the, the, uh, the rice in the field. And the sun was setting. And the director was like, okay, let's, let's do this piece to camera. And this was a whole paragraph of scientific information. And so I thought, okay, I've got this, I've got this. And, and it's like, okay, we've got to go now because the sun's going to go, the sun's going to go. 19 takes, right? It was terrible. It was terrible. And the we, sun's gone. And well, we got it just at the last minute. But, the, you know, the, the stalks were flying off. And, the, it, it, it's and of just, course, the moment you start to screw up, you kind of spiral down. Yeah, that's right. You start overthinking everything then, and then you start getting anxious. And then at that point, you've lost any kind of moment, and uh, it's gone. So... In that vein, have there been moments where you've just found yourself in the field, you know, thinking, okay, I hate this. What am I doing? Why am I doing this? Have, have you had those kind of moments? You know, I have to say, luckily, I haven't had to do much that I wasn't, you know, um, 
I think that the chair's the trick is if you know what it is you're talking about, you have something to say, then it's easy. If you're doing something you're not that an expert on, I think it's really tough. And luckily I haven't had to do that yet. I mean, I'm not an expert on anything, but I have passion and I understand. And uh, the things that I've been doing on camera have been stuff that I knew and care about. And so then it's easy, I think. I do worry um, if suddenly I'm, I'm asked to do something in a, like a proper hosting thing where then I have to actually talk about things that I don't know, then I'll have to memorize them because I, I'm, to- I'm dyslexic. I can't read. I could never read in public or before an audience or, you know, uh, um, certainly not on camera, you know. So I think uh, when the time comes, I'll just have to know those things. I'll have to study my lines so that when the sun's setting and the thing's going off, it's already in my head. Um, but yeah, I, I, can Im- I can imagine how stressful that could be. It's incredible you say that because I'm very similar. I, I would never want to read anything in public, you know, memorizing it fine or, or it being a subject I, I'm, I'm familiar with, fantastic. Um, but I was very, very similar. I had to um, really kind of work hard at overcoming the anxiety of knowing that I don't, you know, I, from school, I came out of school early, didn't read very well at all. And you know, I think this is hugely inspiring for people who are looking to get into the same kind of field because I think people th- believe that they have to be these perfect kind of iconic beings to be in your position, right? They have to have everything down and understand everything and do everything perfect. And so many of the people in this industry are not like that. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, in my case... Uh I told you my father died when I was 17 and at that time I was a hopeless student. I mean, I was a terrible student and I, you know, I did, I did get myself through university and um, uh, with a degree in science and, and, you know, I worked really hard because I, you know, reading didn't come easily and in those days people didn't understand, um, you know, dyslexia and what that was and, and, uh, but, but being left-handed, I think, uh, also, you know, it's like this, you know, you, you grew up to having to do things slightly differently. Uh, I could, uh, you know, you could put a, you could take a gearbox and throw it on the ground and, and, um, in a million pieces and I'll put it together for you. I just don't know why, but I can, I can assemble things like that. Now my parents used to cr- laugh at me because they bring these complex models, you know, like, you know, these, these sort of modeled whatever motorcycles or what airplanes are. And I would just, I would never look at the di- directions. I would just stick it together. And I'm still like that. I never look at any directions. First thing I do is throw the directions away. And, uh, you know, and it's, 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 um, I, my my head just thinks differently in that way, but it, I didn't know. I didn't have any confidence because I couldn't. I wasn't a good reader, so I was hopeless in school, and I never thought I was going to amount to anything. But you know, I guess you know this business has given me that um, opportunity to to do what I do well. Well, I mean, it's fantastic. And what would you? What kind of advice would you give to people? I mean, there's a lot of people here who are looking to be camera people, they're looking to be hosts, um, and, and in general break into the industry. But for, for specifically with camera work and hosting, what advice would you give them? Because when, when they're looking at this and they see all these people and they see how finessed everything is these days, it looks like a, an impossible task. It's like, okay, I, I might as well give up now, there's so much talent around. 
you know, it's hopeless. Why, why bother? And I see a lot of, I've spoken to a lot of people who are kind of down after the first few days. They're just kind of like, you know, I'm not enough. And it's really sad to see that because I know through doing these podcasts how much, how, how many of the people in this industry are not here because they did some linear kind of stepping stone path to get here. So what kind of advice would you have for someone in that situation? Well, there's, I have a couple things that come right to mind. One is that when I started doing this, I still had no confidence in myself. And when people started to say, oh my God, that was amazing. And when, and, and when I saw um, a, a, um, the footage that I had shot ended up in the movie and, and I, it was actually something that was really quite good. And I realized, oh my God, they took what I did and they made this movie and it's actually really good. And you know, it's, it's, you don't do this stuff on your own. You do it with a team. It's, it's like you, you, you watch these amazing programs here and it's like everybody had a part in it. And, you know, well, you were the cameraman. So there was an editor who sifted through all your material and they're only showing the very best of your work, you know, and then they've layered music to like, make it even more dramatic and then there's some incredible person who's speaking about an amazing thing and so you really are just only one per one part of that thing and combined is where the power is you know if they just sat and watched your raw dailies they'd be like eh you know so that's one thing to for everybody to know it's it's you know uh it's a team effort but but the other thing is when when it comes to this stuff i mean uh, everybody has their own way in. Uh, there are opportunities for people today that we never had. I mean, I was working, uh, we shot film, motion picture film, and, you know, the camera assistant got to touch the camera, but you didn't get to look down the eyepiece, you know. Um, you, you know, the, the cameraman uh, was the only one that was, you know, able to look down the lens and you know uh, you never got a chance to to frame up a shot and shoot anything and it took a long time before I was ever given a camera to go shoot anything nowadays everybody's got a phone which is probably better quality than the film cameras we were shooting on so I mean you know then there's the internet that allows you to post stuff instantaneously without having a you know huge budget we used to have roll a 10 minute roll of film was $400 raw. Then we had to have it processed and then it had to, you know, so now it's all free. Uh, so there is a tremendous um, opportunity for anybody who's starting out in this business because you could do anything you want. Now, speaking upon the, the, uh, the filming and, and everyone having a camera now and, and how gorgeous everything is looking these days because these cameras are just incredible. Um, there's, this is two part. First of all, um, people get intimidated when they see all this great stuff. I mean, here we're seeing, you know, top notch wildlife films. And for a camera person, again, breaking into it and they're worried about what they're doing. I've heard this a lot where people are saying, you know, what do I go and film that people haven't seen because it's like you know bob's out there filming all this stuff if i go and film it you know it's the same stuff or it's not you know it's not going to look any different or it would probably look worse so you know what advice would you give specifically about you know where do you start with going out and filming wildlife to to try and make it in the industry but I, I think that it's been like that for a long time now that it's all been shot already and but the fact is it hasn't because you know I watched something last night it just blew my mind you know uh, on uh, yesterday it was um, uh, um, born in China and the sequence with 
the snow leopard coming down and and trying to take a baby yak and the yak mother defending the cow. I mean, yeah, okay, they've been out filming snow leopards for a long time and it's been super difficult, but they never got that before. You know right, what I mean? Yeah, that was and, incredible. And uh, um, so I think that it's never it's never like that. And you know, everybody has access to something. I, I do a lot of these um, National Geographic live tours and people ask me this question a lot. And I'm like, look, you know, um, uh, there's something going on in your city or in your backyard or in, you know, um, your city park or whatever that nobody's stopped to look at before. And it's fascinating. Everything you look at in nature is interesting if you tell the story. So I think, you know, um, yeah, I'm lucky because I get to go do like cheetahs on the African, you know, bush, but, uh, there's always another good story to be told. Well, and I think so much of the time we overlook that because we feel it has to be a snow leopard mm. or a cheetah or mm. a wildebeest mm. or, um, and there was a show here, um, not going to get the title right now, but uh, Tales from Paris, something mm, like that. Yeah. And it was all about pigeons yeah. and, and kind of urban, you know, yeah. the wildlife just in the city. Yeah. And again, it's just like, well, it's, you know, most of the time we're kind of kicking pigeons out the way walking along yeah. the street. Yeah. But the show is about pigeons and how they're interacting with people and, mm. and themselves. Mm. And it was just another great um, example of how you can take something so simple as right there mm. and make a film out of it. Well, and like so, you, you're doing, you know, you specialize in insects. And I mean, the insects are fascinating when you get to look at them more closely and start to understand what's going on. And you'll never run out of stories to tell about right. insects. They're everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and abundant. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Well, and now um, let's move on to the gear, right? Mm. Gear is always a big one as mm. well. You know, people feel they see the stuff you're shooting, mm. they feel, okay. What's he shooting on? They find you're on a, I'm not sure, a 55? Yeah, it was. Um, so, so you know, big cameras, mm. expensive cameras, fantastic cameras. Mm. They feel that they've got a, okay, now I need to save up or sell mm. the house mm. uh, and buy one of these cameras. Mm. Um, when in actual fact, my advice is always le learn to use any, a $300 camera off eBay. Yeah. Get good with that. Yeah. And, then, and then when you're making money yeah. or, you know, yeah. you're looking to do something better, think about that. What, what would you say to that end? Well, um, I had this rule. Uh, I, I did well with my equipment, and I've always owned equipment. Um, but I, my rule was, like, never own any equipment that's not going to pay for itself because it's so expensive. Uh, look, when um, we, oh, we, uh, we shot on film, and um, I, I was a steadfast, you know, working in film guy. Um, while all the video cameras, we went to beta cam, we went to digital beta cam. I skipped all that. I kept shooting film. I kept getting the last film projects. And then on the last, very last film project we were on, it was a series, and they said, you know what, we're going to, we're going to HD. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm going to go buy an HD camera. The body was $100,000. That's way more expensive than we pay for cameras these days. But I was making money on the camera, so it didn't matter. I made, I, you know, I made that money back quickly. Now, Without it, you wouldn't have been earning anything, right? Yeah. And nobody else, you know, was taking that deep plunge. But now, you know, that was in the, that was, as the industry changed, cameras come down in price and they've gotten a lot better. Now you have to be careful because, you know, the camera you buy today might be outdated in a couple of years. So you have to be, yeah, you have to, the same rule applies, you know, don't buy the equipment unless you see a path to pay for it. And like you said, there's a lot of great equipment. You don't have to have the, the latest, greatest thing. I mean, you can't. 
unless you're, you know, going to have a way to pay for it. And so that's my opinion anyway. So um, I still, you know, I, st- I, I, I went for quite a few years without a camera body in my equipment room. And it, it was it was depressing. I didn't need it because I was getting being given cameras to use. But I wanted one in my shop, but I didn't want to buy it unless I had a clear path to, to pay for it. And I finally got that clear path and I bought myself a camera. So I'm happy again. But um, but now I want new lenses. And the problem so it is... it never ends. Yeah, it never ends. <laughs> yeah, and those things cost as much as a camera half the yeah. time. Yeah, so your point is exactly right. I mean, there are amazing tools out there that don't cost a lot of money and you don't have to have the latest thing. And, you know... Um, be careful because everybody is looking for 4K while we're now shooting 8 I'm sorry everybody says we have to be shooting 4K and now we're shooting 8K but in fact like most things are still being broadcast on HD and, and people don't really care um, among most of the things that are going out there so I, I have a friend who still works with a you know an F900 which was that camera I talked about that cost $100,000 and you couldn't sell the thing for two thousand dollars and yet that was the workhorse i mean that was the the workhorse of the uh, and it makes great images and it still does right and now worthless pretty much yeah Yeah, but you can pick one up and start shooting with it and your footage will look stunning it's incredible isn't it i mean i think i call it gear envy we we're we get stuck on this path of um seeing what other people are using thinking we've got to have that but it's it's very fickle because you see the next person oh well no hang on they're a different manufacturer I, i want that but um, at the end of the day, um, well, glass is so important, what lens you have on the front of it. And we're in this place where um, fantastic to shoot these larger formats. 4K is great. Even when you're down-resing it to HD, it still makes a nicer image. But is it necessary, especially when you're starting out? I mean, really, you know, I'm still selling, you know, uh, uh, high-def footage from smaller sensor cameras to news you know um news channels and what have you because they want uh, i film a lot of urban bear activity in tahoe and um it was all filmed with small camcorders and i still getting top dollar for that kind of stuff because it's unique and i think it's it's a bit like um storytelling in general a good story uh doesn't necessarily need great images right but uh great images with a bad story is not so good and it's same if you've got unique footage it doesn't really matter if it was shot on an iphone or an Arri alexa or you know it's um it can still be worth something because of what's happening in the image so yeah and i i mean i would just one other thing is that i i typically i don't really sell much stuff it's not really worth much in in the long run so i have a collection of old stuff and i break it out from time to time put you know lenses on on you know newer cameras and 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 uh, nowadays i think things are becoming more with all these different integrated lens mounts and things like this you know you can really you can really mess around with stuff and uh, it's 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 cool in that way well, we're in a new age where, as you say, the adapters are allowing us. I film with a lot of DSLR Canon lenses on um, a Sony camera. And it's just the the fact that you can do that and save a lot of money on cinema lenses and you can rent those lenses very easily. Um, you don't have to invest huge amounts of money because we just have so many options these days, which makes it very fun and very accessible for everyone. So um, let's talk very quickly. Next projects. What are you What are you heading on to? If you can talk about them, what are you heading on to do? Um, well, you know, I'm I've um, I'm just going out to do a, a thing with uh, National Geographic Creative, 
which is a first for me. I'm really excited about it. Um, that's their commercial side, and so I'm doing a uh, in, in Kenya. I'm working alongside of Ronan Donovan. He's a still still camera guy. We're doing um, a camp uh, advertisement for Safaricom, which is the cellular network uh, telephone company in Kenya. And uh, so that's really fun. It's about endangered species in, in Kenya. So we're really excited about that. And then I've got, um, I'm doing uh, a, a series um, with BBC, actually, which is really fun. It's, um, and I, I'm, I'm American accent and everything, but I, uh, BBC has a partnership with PBS. And so, um, you know, I, I feel that uh, need for having an American on PBS, but uh, so it's great. So I'm working with, uh, making a lot of new friends and, and doing exciting stuff with, uh, really, really talented filmmakers. And that's, that's cool. It's, it's, it's nice. So hopefully carry on with, um, some of the kind of films that we've been making lately. Um, and, and, you know, but, it, but it's <clears throat> with these projects, you know, it's always back to the drawing board, isn't it? You know, you, you get, you get something done and you, you work off of that, um, to build the next thing. And, um, so that's, that's always a, um, it's always a, a work in progress. You know? well, and, and that's a, it's another big question I always hear about, um, you know, I think people think that once you're at a certain level, it's easy, mm. right? Because the work just keeps rolling mm. in, right? Yeah, I know. And I'm not sure that's the case for, no, for no, anyone, no. right? Maybe, maybe no. Edinburgh. I get, I get, um, I get so much from my friends and you know family. It's like, oh, I'll never work again, and you know, it's always a big joke. But, um, but the fact is, you know, I, I, I think there's a certain amount of. Um, it, it, there, a certain amount of that's good because it keeps you on your toes and keeps you hungry, you know. Um, you know, everybody gets a dry spell every now and then, and you know, you think you're done. But you know, I know that's not the case because we have been coming to this festival for I don't know how many years now. God, it's almost twenty. And you know, here here we all are. We're still here. We're still doing this stuff. You know, we've all been through dry times. And um, we've all can come out and made some amazingly cool new things. Uh, so we just, you know, that's part of this business is um, rolling with the tide and trying to keep reinventing yourself. Uh, I've had to reinvent myself many times over. And I, I think um, that's the exciting part about it, too. You're not ever stuck really in a rut. You're always uh, adapting and shifting, and and I guess if you're not, you're not coming back, uh, you know. <laughs> right, and and you know, being someone like yourself, you know, participating in panels. You were mm. up here on a panel just earlier, mm. talking about um, redefining the on-camera host, which is um, you know something that's happening now. I mean, it's happening whether we like it or not. You know, the whole industry is changing for uh, you know um, going moving online and looking at different ways to to meet our audience. Um, I, what what do you find is the importance of film festivals in terms of you know someone who has who's working with you know the top uh, the leading kind of networks in natural history what's your purpose for being here why do you keep coming back because some people would just think well I'm not going to see him there because he's you know why would he be there but I think it's still a case of networking right you still got to turn up and and meet people and, and keep the whole thing going I think first of all foremost it's like um it's kind of like 
family in a way. I have so many great friends. My best friends are people who I've worked with in this business. And so, you know, that's a chance to come and see all your old friends again. You know, these people that you've done, been through the trenches with, you know, been through amazing experiences. And, you know, here we are again, you know, and we see each other once every two years or so. Um, that's for me the first thing. You know, and the social aspect of like getting together and having a beer with your old friends or a bunch of your old friends or, you know, um, that's to me the number one. Then it's like to see all the um, listen and see all the amazing uh, things that other people are up to. And now the festival has taken on this, um, you know, we had the cat summit this year and last time it was elephants. And, you know, so then you're learning about all the work that's being done to conserve these things. And, and then the, the, um, the, the other side, which is really the important thing is, um, this is where all the broadcasters are that all the, um, people who you can partner with to do your, show you know what it is what it is that you want to do um and you know that the networking side of that you know which is um, luckily i think you know for me it's uh, it's more like having fun with people um rather than i don't think of it it is networking but it's actually just having fun with your friends because i know I'm, I'm in this place it's funny i like my friends are now the, the executives of of you know um <clears throat> president of channels and um um and and senior vice presidents and other filmmakers and camera people and you know so i have friends all across this thing so it's really just yeah it's not really networking it's just hanging out with your friends that's fantastic i mean it's amazing how it, it all evolves and um and yeah as you say you become very close to people i mean it's amazing when you i worked with a very small crew traveling the world and those people become as you say it's like a family because you go through things that most people never go through in their lives at times when you might be you know scared or you're most exuberant and, yeah you know and and those people back then were you know like uh, your producer or you know an ap and now they're the president of the channel yeah, you know so you have this like uh, you know we're all going through this thing together and uh, uh you know all of us are shift are adapting and changing and shifting and and finding the new way all the time well, Bob, thanks so much for taking the time out to be on the podcast. It's great to have people of your caliber on here that can give advice and just tell your personal story because it's, that's what this is all about. It's inspiring others to know that, you know, we all got into this in a different way and people will continue to do that and it's going to last a long time. And, you know, inspire people to make great quality content because that's really, really important this day and age. So thank you. Thanks so much, Jake, for having me. It's been really fun. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Master Wildlife Filmmaking Podcast, then please leave a rating and a comment. And remember to subscribe to keep up to date with the series. You can find out more information on wildlife filmmaking at masterwildlifefilmmaking.com, where you'll find valuable free resources like downloadable reports and video tutorials. Thanks for listening.